You're listening to audio from Seven Mile Road Church in Waltham, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. If you'd like to check out more of our resources or learn more about our church, please visit sevenmilewaltham.com. So have you ever had this experience before, I'm sure you have, where you share something that you love deeply with somebody else and they just don't get it? Just a show of hands, okay? All of us. Maybe, maybe, it's, um, maybe it's something like music you're into. So for example, I, I love traditional country music. So I say to you, hey, you've got to hear this Hank Williams Sr. song. And, and you look at me like, really like a lot of you are looking at me right now. You're like, no, thank you. You just, you just don't get it. You're not a fan of traditional American country music. That's okay. Or, or maybe it's a, a sport. Some people are baseball people. Some people are football people. Um, there are apparently some people who enjoy the Olympic sport curling. You guys have seen this, right? The, the brush and the giant hockey puck. Um, that's a Canadian thing, right? But it's an Olympic sport. I... Someone could share with me their passion about curling, and I'm sorry, I just will not get it. Right? A few years ago, I was reading a book that I absolutely loved. It was a novel, and I shared it with a friend because we had similar interests. I th- said, you're going to love this book. And he came back to me, handed it, he said, that was one of the worst, most depressing books I've ever read. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of hurtful. Right? So we've all been there, and these, these are all, you know, Light-hearted examples and, and, and differences that we can chalk up to different personalities, different interests. That's all, all fine. But what about when it's something a little deeper? And that brings us to Mark chapter 4 this morning. What about when it's something like your allegiance to Jesus? The, the Christian is one who has tasted and seen the Lord's goodness. They've, they've received forgiveness from sins through Jesus Christ. The gospel means good news. It it really is the greatest news that you can imagine, news that sinners like you and I can be redeemed and experience joy forever with the God of the universe. That is the greatest news ever. Yet, when you share this news that so thrills your heart with others, you know very quickly you learn that not everybody's thrilled by it. It's not their style of music. It's not their, their sport of choice. They're not, they're not necessarily interested in reading that novel. Or, not just those outside of the church, maybe you think of your own heart. And you've lost that thrill of the gospel that you once had when you first believed. You hear a sermon, but you're not stirred. You go through the, the Bible reading motions but you're not revived. And so the question that our text is asking this morning and answering is why does this happen? Because this is the the setting of the early uh, chapters of Mark. In chapters 1 through 3, we're parachuting into just this one passage this morning in our Portraits of Jesus series, so it'll be helpful to sort of bring us up to speed on what's happened so far in this book. And in chapters 1 through 3, Jesus has begun his public ministry, and and Mark's account moves very, very quickly. 
And so Jesus begins preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And immediately in his public ministry, we start seeing these varying different responses to him. So for example, the crowds, they're interested in Jesus, but really for one purpose. They want to see and benefit from his miraculous works. They're less concerned with the person of Christ, and they're more concerned with the power of Christ. What can he do for me? The the crowds are painted in a very negative light in Mark's gospel. That's one response to him. We also have the religious leaders. At, At first, they come with curiosity at this man who claims to be the Messiah. Then it turns very quickly to criticism against Jesus. Then, almost immediately, chapter 3, total enmity. In chapter 3, they, they say Jesus is filled with Satan, and we read that they have set their sights against him to kill him from this point on. So there's that blatant opposition as a response to Jesus. At the end of chapter 3, we also see Jesus' own family As they hear about what Jesus is is doing, they don't know what to think about him. They try to seize him, chapter 3, verse 21, because they think he's out of his mind. They think he's crazy. And then, the smallest number in these varying responses is the few who have given up their lives and entrusted themselves to follow Jesus. This small group of ragtag disciples made up of fishermen and tax collectors and others, the sort of riffraff. And so they're following Jesus, and they're seeing all these responses to the Messiah, and they are, in the back of their minds, there's this question, why aren't more people thrilled by this, by the Messiah? And here's the answer that our passage this morning gives us. The reason is because embracing Jesus is a matter of the heart. That's what this parable Jesus is getting at. And those who truly embrace Jesus hear the word of Christ, they receive it, and they live lives of abundance. So Jesus is teaching us this. He's getting to the heart of these different responses through a parable. He says in verse 1, it says in verse 1, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them. So, so what is a, a parable? A parable, just a real simple definition here, is a story with a parallel spiritual meaning accompanied by an explanation. Right? That's what this parable is. That's what Jesus, uh, a way that Jesus teaches. And this parable, this specific one, the parable of the, the sower, is arguably the most famous parable of Jesus, and it really is very simple to understand because after telling it, Jesus then gives his disciples a direct explanation to each part of the parable. And so it's very helpful for us this morning. We don't have to wonder, what does Jesus mean by, by this? And so as we walk through this parable this morning, we're going to look at both of those together, the parable itself and then Jesus' explanation And then we're going to ask questions of our own hearts. And so if you're following along, maybe taking notes, here's our outline for this morning. Number one, is my heart hardened to God's word? We'll see that as Jesus addresses the seed along the path. Number two, is my heart weakened by opposition? As Jesus addresses the seed sown on rocky soil. Number three, is my heart distracted by the cares of? of the world. We'll see that among the thorns. And then lastly, 
is my heart enriched by the grace of Jesus? We'll see that in the rich soil that produces abundant fruit. And so Jesus answers this question for us. Why are there different responses? Why so many varied responses to Jesus? Why, why isn't everybody thrilled by this? He answers this question by getting to our hearts. The, the depth of our inner person. That's the soil in this passage. The human heart, which biblically speaking is the core of who we are. It's our inner person that's made up of our, our thinking, our desiring, our values, our intentions, our will. It's, it's the engine inside of us, not just our emotions. So with that in mind, I think you could actually change the title in the heading of your Bible. By the way, we're allowed to do that. Those headings aren't inspired. So no, I'm not a heretic. Right? The translators add those later. I think a better title for this is the parable of the soils. The sower is only mentioned once. Or even more, to get even more sort of granular, the parable of the heart in response to Jesus. That's what this passage is about. And so he begins in verse 3. Jesus says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, notice how he starts. He starts with a command, listen and behold. Those are the only two direct commands we see in this text. Okay? And, and this, this word listen here is a unique word. It, it goes beyond just hear the words I have to say. It goes beyond physical hearing of our ears and is meant to get into the heart, embrace what I have to say. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, behold, hear, embrace, receive the truth that I am about to share with you. Receive it in the core of your being, and you will experience abundant life. He tells us that a, a sower went out to sow. Now, who is this sower? Well, verse 14 tells us that it's the one who shares or spreads the word. It's very simple. The seed is the word, the gospel. And in the context of Mark, Jesus is really talking specifically about his own public ministry. He is the sower. But by way of extension, anytime the word is heard or proclaimed throughout history by God's people, the word is being sown. The seed is being sown. So anyone who shares the word is a sower. And so Jesus then tells us of this first kind of soil where the seed is sown, this walkway path. And that leads us to our first sort of soul-searching question. Number one, is my heart hardened to God's word? Verse four, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Now the path that Jesus is, is talking about here has been hardened by travel. Now th like this, I read this and I thought, what farmer would sow seed along a path? Right? But you have to remember, it's, it's, it's a, a different sort of farming system than, than we're used to. So our family likes to go to Wilson Farm in Lexington. Anyone been to Wilson Farm? It's great. They got the giant potato cannon, right? And as, as you're driving up, you know, you sort of park and then you look down over, you know, the farm area, you'll see what you expect to see, which is straight rows of, of crops, right? Well, that's not necessarily the case in first century Palestine. Be, because there were pathways woven through farms, it, it wasn't as simple as straight lines. So it's very common that as a, a, a sower is sowing seed, that it will fall along a path where people travel. Very normal. And when this would happen, birds would come and immediately devour it, right? Free meal. That's great. The soil had been packed in by years of, of foot travel, 
so hard that a seed couldn't get under the surface and would not sprout and grow. So it immediately would just get snatched up. And Jesus gives this explanation of what this means, what he's referring to in verse 15. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So the word, the message of Jesus, the truth of who God is in his word, is physically heard, but Satan immediately takes it away. To use a sort of modern idiom, you could say it goes in one ear and out the other, right? There's no spiritual comprehension. It's just sort of discarded. Now, we see this happen most obviously when the the Christian message is just rejected, met with ridicule by friends or families or those outside of the church. That's ridiculous. (laughs) How could you ever believe this stuff about a a man who rose from the dead? They might have heard that truth, but the enemy has taken it or snatched it away. And they respond with that blatant rejection, maybe even mockery. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's just plain apathy or indifference. Hey, that's good for you. Thank you for sharing it, but no thanks. I'm good. But this is not just in sort of outside of the church problem, but it's an internal one as, as well. I think Jesus here addresses the reality that there are many people under the guise of religion who are sitting in churches all across the world this morning and they are going through the ritualistic motions of Christianity, and they're hearing the word, but it's just bouncing off their hard hearts. They don't receive it. They might even read their Bible. They might even go through spiritual disciplines. They might even do ministry, but their heart is hardened. So deep down, even though it may not look like it, they're rejecting Jesus. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The hearts have become calloused to the realities of who Jesus is. So I've played guitar for about 23 years now. And those of you who know about guitar, you know when you start playing um, guitar, you start to develop calluses on your fingers, right? And calluses are helpful because if you, if you don't have calluses and you start playing, you'll, feel very, you'll, you'll realize very quickly it can be painful, right? That sort of wound metal pressing into your finger. And so these calluses over time have developed so that I just can't feel the tips of my fingers have no feeling in them, right? If I stop playing guitar for maybe a month or so, which I don't know if that's ever happened, right? I'll start to get that feeling back, but I can't feel them. Now that's wonderful for guitar playing, but it is terribly destructive for the human heart, right? I don't want to feel metal cutting into my my fingers when I'm playing guitar, but when I hear the word of God, I want my heart to be softened, not callous. But what happens? Just like over time, my my fingers have become calloused. Many hear the word continually. They go through the ritualistic motions of church and Christianity, and their hearts become numb and callous to the reality of who Jesus is. And Jesus tells us that the reason this happens is because we have an enemy who is actively working. When the seed is sown, he wants to take it and snatch it away. 
He wants nothing more than for our hearts to remain hardened to the good news of Jesus. So even if he can't get you to outright reject the word of God in a blatant sort of public way, he is completely content with people going to church, hearing things about God, going through religious ritualistic motions, as long as the seed just bounces off their heart. He is happy with that. In a sense, he's saying, I've snatched it away. So this leads us to ask that question. Is my heart hardened, calloused to the word of God? Leads us to pray, Lord, soften our hearts. As we sang in our first song, revive us again. Lord, renew a right spirit within us. So that's the first soil. Then the parable moves on from the hard heart to a shallow soil, a shallow heart, as Jesus addresses the seed among the rocky ground. And this leads us to question number two. Number one, is my heart hardened? It's the word of God. Number two, is my heart shallow in the face of opposition? Look at verse five. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. All right? So this ground's a little better, but not much. It's, hard, it's not hardened by travelers, there's something there, but the soil is full of rocks. So the seed starts to, to take root, but it's a shallow root, and so a sprout shoots up quickly. Because there's no depth of this root, there's no roots going down and receiving nutrition and, and rich soil, and the soil's unhealthy, the heat of the sun scorches it and, and kills it immediately. It, it, it withers away. So Jesus explains in verse 16, and these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. You hear that? So they receive it with joy even. There's a sort of public profession of faith, but when suffering because of the gospel, when opposition comes... They immediately, Jesus says, abandon their faith. I think the most common way we see this today is in this increasingly opposing views to God and Christianity and his word in our, our culture. There was once a day in New England, you don't, really don't need to know a lot of New England history, just a little, to know that there was once a day when being a follower of Jesus, who was committed to the word of God, actually had some cultural clout to it. It actually would benefit you in, in the public arena. But that is not so anymore. It's not the norm anymore. If you submit yourself to King Jesus, and if you say God's word is my standard for life, you are out of step with the rest of the world and the rest of culture. There's just, there's no way around it. The world says, get with the times. Or maybe you've heard this one before. You're on the wrong side of history if you believe this stuff. Right? And so there's pressure and opposition. And when that comes, Jesus says, if you love the world and the approval of the world and the applause of the world, because you're not rooted in Jesus by faith, you will abandon Jesus in a heartbeat because your heart is shallow. You're not deeply rooted in Christ. I think one of the most prominent ways the shallowness of heart tends to reveal itself in our own lives is through the desire for the approval of others. Right? 
that sort of idol of what others think. We can call it people-pleasing. Or as Ed Welch says, one author and psychiatrist says, it's when people are big and God is small in our minds. And we have this strong desire for others to think highly of us and to respect us and to affirm us over and above God's approval of us. So when the pressure comes from the outside against God's truth and God's word, we're tempted to give. And listen, friends, this is a miserable way to live. The opinions of others, you know this, the opinions of others are fickle and fading. The the fear of man is an enslaving place to live. Root your heart in this reality. The only opinion about you that ultimately matters is God's opinion about you. Not what the world says. Not what your friends say. Not even what your family says. But what God says about you. And if you are in Christ, if you're rooted, that means you're loved, cherished, accepted, affirmed already. And that can never be taken away. You are planted deep in his heart if you are in Christ. So friends, this leads us to ask, in what ways do we wrestle with a shallow heart in the face of opposition from the world? And as you you think about that question in your own life, let me remind you what Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what we're signing up for. For whoever would save his life, read, please others in this world, live for the approval of man, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. In other words, Jesus is really summing up what we saw in our first Peter series, right? Opposition to the seed of the Gospel is commonplace in the Christian life. It's going to come. And when we experience it and endure, it's evidence that the roots are deep. Yet when we experience it and and walk away from Christ, it reveals the shallowness of our heart's commitment to Him. Okay? Is my heart shallow in the face of opposition to God and His Word? And then as we move along in the parable, we see next this, the seed that falls among the thorns. And our, our soul-searching question here is this. Is my heart distracted by the cares of this world? So verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. So the seed starts to take root as well, just like the the rocky soil, even more so than the the seeds in the rocky soil. But the thorns and weeds have also taken root. And so the thorns grow and surround and choke out the plant. Now, if you're planting a garden, you guys know this. Weeds are not just an eyesore, right? They're detrimental to the health of what you want to grow. So you got to get rid of them. They pose a threat to the health of your garden. And so Jesus gives this explanation, verses 18 and 19. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, so here it's not tribulation. It's not suffering for the sake of the gospel that kills the sprout, but it's the distraction of worldly pleasures, the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for earthly things. We can, we can sum this up by saying that in this soil, in this heart, money, possessions, and earthly comfort far outweigh 
the worth of Christ in the heart of this person. Now, just by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of the, the invasive plant kudzu? Raise your hand. Okay. One, that, that hand went up fast. Nine, yeah. Right? Now, now, listen to what the, the Nature Conservancy describes about kudzu. Known as a mile a minute in the vine that ate the south, this creeping, climbing perennial vine terrorizes native plants all over the southeastern United States and is making its way to the Midwest, the Northeast, and Oregon was first introduced to the United States during the Philadelphia Centennial Exposition in 1867, where, listen to this, it was touted as a great ornamental plant for its sweet-smelling blooms and sturdy vines. From the 30s to the 50s, the Soil Conservation Service promoted it as a great tool for soil erosion control and was planted in abundance throughout the South. Little did we know that kudzu is quite a killer overtaking and growing over anything in its path. Kudzu grows out, grows out of control quickly. Once established, it grows at a rate of one foot per day with mature vines as 100 feet long. That is a perfect picture of worldly allurements that we face as Christians, isn't it? The lie goes like this. Pursue these things... Money, sex, power, pleasure. Pursue those above all comfort and you will find life. It's pleasing to the eye. It's introduced as something that will make life better. The flowers of earthly pursuits smell wonderful, don't they? Little do we know that such idols are killers that blind us and distract us and leave us dead and fruitless. Now this soil, I think, is very hard for us to identify in our own hearts these sort of thorns because they're often, I would say most often, good things in and of themselves. They're not, they're not blatantly evil things. They're God-created things that we have simply taken and exalted above Him. Right? So, for example, money is not evil, but the love of money is. And pursuing money as your ultimate source of security and comfort is idolatry. It is a thorn that will choke you in the end. The same is true with your career, your ambitions, your accomplishments. Those, those are not in and of themselves evil things. You can, you can and should glorify God in those things, but finding your identity in your accomplishments instead of Christ is a thorn that will choke you in the end. It will leave you fruitless. We could go on with power, sex, technology. All these things are meant to be enjoyed rightly as God intends, but things that all too often become thorns that distract us from the glories of Jesus and living fruitfully for Him. So friends, in what ways is your heart at this moment distracted by the things of this world? You cannot live with a divided allegiance to Jesus in this world. One of the most heart-wrenching characters in the New Testament is a man named Demas. He's only mentioned three times. In Philemon, the Apostle Paul calls him a fellow worker. So we know he was a pastor, missionary, traveled with Paul and Luke. In Colossians, he's, he's working with Paul and he, he greets the church He's faithful in ministry. 
But by the time we get to the end of Paul's life, Paul is about to die for the sake of the gospel. And in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas walked away from the faith. And friends, for those of us who are inside the four walls of the church, right? We're here, we're committed to Christ. This is a sober warning for us. The heart of Demas was not hardened to the initial preaching of the gospel. He wasn't like that seed sown on the path. He received it in one sense. In fact, his heart wasn't even deterred by opposition from the world. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. Surely he endured opposition, suffering, likely imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. Those things didn't get Demas. What got Demas and choked out the grace of God in his life was the distractions and love of this world. And friends, if I would submit to you any of these soils that is most common for our culture, it would be this one. So be on guard. In what ways are you tempted to be lured away from the joy of Jesus by the things of this world? So just by way of review, this is Jesus' answer to the question, why do people reject him? outright because their hearts are hardened why do they turn away when opposition comes because their hearts are shallow why 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 aren't people thrilled by jesus because they're allured away and distracted by the lesser fleeting loves of this world that's jesus answer now we now come to the good soil the right response and this leads us to ask the question is my heart enriched by the grace of jesus look at verse 8 he says another seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. No hardened surface, no rocks, no thorns, but rich and healthy soil. The seed takes root and it produces grain and it grows 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And Now, a fold here is simply the increase of the number of grains harvested over the number of grains sown. Okay, so just to give you some perspective, at this time, a good crop yield was about tenfold. Okay, so the average range was 5 to 15. So if you're, if you're listening to Jesus, you're hearing this and you're hearing rocky path, I get that, I know that. You're hearing, uh, or, or flat path, I get that. Rocky soil, I get that. Thorns, I get all that. When Jesus says 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, they're saying that's not, no, that's not normal. No one would ever return that sort of yield here. It would have been extraordinary. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Those who truly embrace the word, truly hear, they experience a life of abundant fruitfulness. Verse 20, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Right? Those who hear the gospel and truly, fully receive it live lives of abundant fruitfulness for Jesus. When you believe the gospel, your spiritual growth journey is not the same as everyone else's. I think this is why Jesus mentions three numbers here, right? It's it's encouraging. Some of you, you might say, man, 
my spiritual growth is, it seems so slow right now. That's okay. You're 30-fold right now. And you might have a friend who's 100-fold or 150-fold. Praise God for that. There are times of rapid growth and there are times of slow growth. And the differences in number are meant to, to show that. We, we all produce different outputs as we believe in Jesus and walk and live for his glory. But here's the point. There will always be obedient faith where the seed of the gospel is truly sown. Always. There will be ups and downs. There will be times of struggle and times of doubt and despair. There will be hardships. But when the seed takes root, it will grow. And what does this life of abundance look like? Well, here's some passages that I think, I, I wonder if Jesus had these in mind. As he's using this agricultural illustration, he is pulling from a rich um, biblical imagery. So this abundant life looks like, for example, it looks like delighting in God's word. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 4. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Delighting in God's word. Abundance also looks like trusting him in the face of adversity. Listen to Jeremiah 17 verses 5 through 8. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. Stands strong in the face of opposition for its leaves remain green. And is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Right? Looks like trusting in the Lord during hard times. It's a life of abundance. It also looks like living your entire life for the glory of God. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, Jesus says, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Looks like Christ-likeness in your relationships. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Against such things there is no law. It looks like abundance. Right? That's what Jesus is offering here. Now this still leaves the question, great, that's the soil, that's the heart I need. How do I get it? Right? And this is, our pragmatic culture is like this. I'm the same way. Right? When we're preparing sermons, I'm like, give, where, what are the five application steps that I can give? None of those in this text. That's how we, we think. Cut to the chase. Tell me, tell me what I need to do. Jesus' answer here might be frustrating, but in the end, it's actually quite liberating. Because here's what Jesus is saying here. You cannot change your heart. You can't do it. Only God can do that. We'll, we'll sing in a moment. We've seen Jesus paid it all. Lord, now, indeed, I find thy power and thine alone can change the leopard spots and melt the heart of stone. So what do we do then? Well, you remember the one command in this passage back in verse 1. Listen. Right? Listen with the ears of your heart. Behold 
with the eyes of your heart. Receive, accept. Verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. Verse 11, as he's talking to his disciples, to you has been given the secrets of the kingdom. You cannot do anything to make your heart soft and rich soil. You simply receive Jesus in his work for you. The soil did nothing but received the seed, and God gave growth. You see, you don't have to be ambushed by the evil one, like the seed on the rocky ground, because Christ willingly placed himself in the paths of Satan's attacks for you. That's the gospel. You don't have to wither away under the heat of opposition because Christ, your substitute, received the full heat, the weight of God's wrath, on the cross, in the place of ruined sinners like you and me. You don't have to have life choked out by the fleeing loves of this world because Christ took all of those sins, past, present, future, upon his shoulders and put them to the grave for you. Receive. That's what he's calling us to. Christ the seed was sown into the ground at his crucifixion and burial. And he was raised to abundant, fruitful, eternal life at his resurrection. So all who behold, all who receive him by faith are raised to lives of joyous abundance. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Embrace him. Believe in him. Turn from your sins and trust in Christ afresh. That's the call. Yet, there is another tangible takeaway here as we come to a close. Think of the disciples they were very slow to understand. These, these were like, I really relate to these guys, especially Peter, just a thick-headed dummy, right? They're so slow to understand. They don't grasp this right away. This question in verse 13 from Jesus is a rebuke. Do you not understand this parable? It's more like this. Guys, do, do you really not understand? But after years with Jesus, sitting at his feet, hearing and hearing, and hearing, and asking questions, and wrestling, and working it out with other disciples, their hearts were transformed. And aside from Judas, they lived abundantly fruitful lives. We can't miss the timeline here. So what, what can you do? Well, to use another metaphor, it's like setting a sail. You know how sailboats work? They don't use a motor unless you, you know, there's no wind. They don't use oars unless there's no, no wind. You, you set the sails. You make sure there's no holes in them. You tie all the fancy knots. I don't know. I'm not a sailor, right? But you put the sail up, and if the sail's up, that's all you can do. You're at the mercy of the wind. Right? Friends, likewise, we, we can't change our own hearts and our own strength any more than we can make the wind blow. But we can set our sails, so to speak. We can place ourselves under the ordinary means of God's grace until the soil of our hearts in that way. These means include the proclaimed word, reading God's word, prayer, communal relationships, and I would say most importantly, not just taking in the truths of the gospel, but putting them to practice in your life. And through that, you're setting the sails and God sends the wind as he sees fit. Right? And then lastly, there's one final encouragement here for us as we go about the mission of God. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. 
as we're, we're sitting here hearing this, we're not just, hopefully not just thinking of our own hearts, but loved ones as well. Friends and neighbors, people who don't yet believe the gospel, we, we should be. What is our responsibility with them? It's to sow the word. The sower can't make the rainfall. The sower can't make the, sh- the, the, the sun shine. The sower can't give growth. Our responsibility is to faithfully, lovingly, clearly share the gospel with those God has placed in our lives. That's sowing. And then we pray and trust God to do his work in the hearts of sinners as he sees fit. So if you're here and you're, you're thinking of someone like that who seems so far gone and hard-hearted, let me encourage you, press on with patience with that hard-hearted friend or that wayward child or that family member. Don't lose heart in a world that seems so opposed to Jesus. Just as the Spirit tilled the soil of your stony heart and my stony heart and gave growth so He can do for others. So church, let's, let's be vigilant in in tilling the soil, in in setting the sails, in sowing the seed of God's word. Because embracing Jesus is a matter of the heart. And those who truly embrace him, hear the word of Christ, receive it, and live lives of abundance for his glory. Let's pray together.